So the first reading tonight is from Daniel chapter 2 and uh, found on page 873. Then we flip straight over. So Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 23. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, this is not, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house, his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. 
You have made known to us the dream of the king. The second reading comes from Luke, chapter 20, beginning at verse 9, found on page 1041. Luke, chapter 20, beginning at verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give, them, and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Well, it would be good to have uh, Daniel open in front of you. Uh, so flip back if you've got a church Bible to page 873. Uh, you'll need to have that in front of you as we work our way through uh, that chapter. Hang on, I've got to do it as well. Well, I reckon there's nothing much worse than losing sleep. And I'm not talking about the sort of sleep you lose because you've stayed up late on a Saturday night out partying or because you've gotten up through the night to watch the Olympics or anything, you know, self-inflicted. I'm talking about the sort of sleep you lose when something else happens that causes you to do that. Uh, So if you're you're a parent, you'll know what it's like to have young children in the house and the sort of uh, sleep you, you lose during that time. Or sometimes you might be sick. Uh, through the week, I've had a bit of a head cold, so I've had that, you know, a couple of days where you just have stuff piling out of your head. And you know when you, you sort of lie down flat, it all kind of builds up, and you wake up and you go, and make horrible noises for a few minutes. It kind of wakes you up for a good half an hour or so before you can get back to sleep. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, or sometimes you might uh, lose sleep because you're anxious about something, something coming up that you're worried about or you're nervous about. Uh, that might cause you to lose sleep or, going the other way, um, you might be so excited by something and you, you think of the young child who knows their birthday or Christmas or something is the next day and so they're, they're too, too excited to go to sleep. Uh, some people uh, lose sleep because there's too much light or too much noise. I'm not one of those people. I could lie down here and go to sleep right now and I wouldn't be disturbed for the rest of the night. You guys can just have church around me, that'd be fine. But... Some people get distracted by noise or light. Or the other thing that might cause you to lose sleep is bad dreams. Now, I have to admit, I was a nightmare kid. Now, notice I didn't say I was a nightmare of a kid, although you can probably check that with my parents. But I had lots of nightmares. 
And the problem with a nightmare is you wake up and it's difficult to get back to sleep because you're kind of scared. You don't want to risk entering back into that world that's just frightened you so much. And so you lose sleep. Now when we meet King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, he's experiencing sleeplessness because of a dream that's troubling him. Now back in those days, it was believed that dreams were a way that the gods would communicate with you. And so he knew that it was important to find out what the dream was and more importantly, find out what the meaning of the dream was. And so, as we heard in the reading, he summoned the wise men, the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to come and shed light on it for him. Now these guys were used to interpreting dreams and they used to they have the, what, we, what you might call a dream book. You know, so you've had dream number 42, so we open up the page, dream number 42 is this, and so the interpretation is that. All they needed to do was know what this dream was that the king had had. Then they could look it up and and give him the interpretation that he so desperately wanted. However, the king wouldn't tell them the dream. We're not told whether he couldn't remember it, which is highly likely, I suspect, Or he just wanted to test them to see if they would give him an authentic response. What we do know is he was very worried, you can see that in verse 9, that they would deceive or mislead him. And so he warned them that unless they could tell him his dream and interpret it for him, there would be a penalty to pay. And indeed the penalty was a severe one. He threatened to execute them if they couldn't do what he demanded. He also threatened, uh, threatened. He also uh, offered to reward them graciously if they could tell him what he wanted. But I'm sure with the knowledge of we don't actually know what the dream is, they're more worried about the threat. Now, in Daniel 2, there are three sort of high points or climaxes, if you like. And the first one of these is in verse 10. Have a look now at how the wise men of Babylon respond to the king when he makes this request of them. They say to him, There's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among men. Here's an uncomfortable truth. What Nebuchadnezzar wants to know can only be revealed by the gods. And of course, in, in, their, in the experience of the wise men of Babylon, they don't think gods live among men. That just doesn't happen. And so the uncomfortable truth is, sorry Nebuchadnezzar, we can't satisfy your demands. We're only human. We don't know what your dream is, let alone what its interpretation is. Now, there are times when it's hard to tell someone a difficult truth. And if you've ever been in that situation, you'll know what I mean. So you might be passing on news to someone of someone's death, perhaps, or you might be in a position where you need to retrench someone, or a school teacher might come in with the, the exam results and have to pass on the difficult news to the, the student, what their mark is. But when you have to pass on a difficult truth that has repercussions for your own well-being... Well, at that point, you need to be very brave. 
You see, it was bravely the wise men in Babylon told Nebuchadnezzar that they were unable to help him. Only God could reveal what he wanted to know. And because of the threat that came earlier, not surprisingly, the king was furious and he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Well, thankfully, it's at this point that Daniel is reintroduced to the scene. Now, we were introduced to Daniel last week, you might remember. He was one of the young Israelite men who was carried off to exile in Babylon. And uh, he spent time uh, being trained and assimilated uh, so he could enter into the king's service. And God was gracious, we read, in granting to Daniel and his three mates uh, knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And key to what we're talking about tonight, we see in chapter 1, verse 17, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And so here's Daniel, he's a man of God to whom God gave knowledge and understanding. Is he going to be able to help Nebuchadnezzar? Well, Daniel was one of the wise men who had that execution order hanging over his head. So he had a vested interest in trying to work this out. He boldly approached the king and he asked for a little bit of time, time that the king wasn't prepared to give the other Babylonian wise men anymore. Daniel was granted that time, then he got to his three mates, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. They had a prayer meeting. They sat down to pray together. You see, because of his relationship with God, Daniel was self-assured but he wasn't self-reliant. He knew that he needed to trust God and mercifully, In verse 19 we read that during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Can you imagine the relief that Daniel would have felt at that point of time? Not only for himself and his own life but for his three mates and indeed as well as for all the wise men in Babylon. And so he burst into praise. We see it there in verse 20, have a look. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You can imagine the celebration and the praise and the thanksgiving. But what we actually see here in the praise and thanksgiving is more of what we saw last week. Do you remember? God rules and God gives. You see, God is sovereign. He has control over history. And because he is able to reveal such wisdom and power, Daniel praises God for his character, for control over history and the ability to reveal its future are two of the things that make God, God. Well, armed with this new knowledge, Daniel takes, goes back to King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's at this point we now reach the second high point or climax of this chapter. Have a look at verse 27. Daniel says to the king, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Verse 
He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. You see there? God is sovereign and has control over history. Therefore, only he can reveal such mysteries. Now, this idea of of wisdom and the revelation of wisdom is a theme that runs through the Bible. And it's an important part of our work in making disciples. For the Bible tells us that God has revealed what we need to know for life and godliness. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul... (coughs) In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as wisdom and power from God. And so as we go about fulfilling Jesus' commission to make disciples, what do we do? Well, we tell the world that God's wisdom is found in Jesus. For it's in Jesus that we see God's love. It's in Jesus that we're warned of the judgment to come. It's in Jesus that we find salvation. It's in Jesus that we're reconciled to God. And Jesus shows us the best way to live in God's world. God has placed us into a number of communities. We've got our community at home, our family. There's our friendship community. There's our vocational community. There's our neighbourhood. There's recreational communities and any other number of different communities we're a part of. And you know, if we want to see Jesus honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community then much of what we do is to reveal God's wisdom to the people in those communities. God God places us in these communities so that we can tell people about Jesus, so that we can reveal to them who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. God rules and God gives us the opportunity to reveal this precious wisdom to our world because he has revealed it to us through his son. Well, finally, the moment has arrived. You've been sitting here wondering, what on earth is this dream and what's it going to be about? Now's the time to look and find out. Okay, let's have a look at verse 31. Daniel finally reveals the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you're still looking for the answer to Graham's question before, about how the two Bible passages link up, Hopefully you'll work it out soon. Verse 31. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain 
and filled the whole earth. So in this dream is, is the image of, of a mighty and, and frightening person, a statue. And there's gold and silver and bronze, which is kind of cool for what this week's been about. But then there's this big stone that destroys the statue and becomes itself a great mountain. That's a pretty fascinating dream, isn't it? What's it all about? What does this dream mean? Well, Daniel continues in verse 36 and he tells us, have a look. This was the dream, he says, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united, any more than iron mixes with clay." In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. What's this dream about? Well, it's just like at the Olympics really, isn't it? Gold is superior to silver and silver is superior to bronze and bronze is superior to everything else. But, but we're not talking about you know, events and medals here. What we're talking about here is kingdoms. It's a dream about kingdoms. And Daniel explains that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon is like the head of gold. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is like the image of man we see God create in Genesis. He has dominion over the rest of creation. He's a great and powerful king. But the dream also teaches us that other kingdoms are coming, with the next two kingdoms being inferior to Nebuchadnezzar's current kingdom. But there will also be a fourth kingdom, which while being stronger, will also be divided. What's that about? Well, history shows us that after the reign of the Babylonians came the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. And after the kingdom of the Medes and Persians came the kingdom of the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And following that was the great Roman Empire. 
that reigned during the time of Jesus. Now, the final part of the dream concerned the coming of a stone, the stone being another kingdom again that would crush all the other kingdoms but would itself endure forever. And this kingdom will be set up by the God of heaven rather than by human hands. The dream is about kingdoms. Now you can imagine that Nebuchadnezzar, on on, on one level, would have been quite relieved to hear a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there for him, wasn't there? He was affirmed that, that his kingdom was great, that it was given to him by God. Yeah, there was some bad stuff about other kingdoms rising up and taking over, but that wasn't going to happen until after his lifetime. So what would he care? But most importantly, God used the dream, not to announce to Nebuchadnezzar how great he was, but to announce the good news of another kingdom that was coming, God's own coming kingdom. And therefore the dream urges us to look forward with great anticipation to the kingdom to come. And in fact, when we get to the Gospels, somewhere like Mark's Gospel, for example, Jesus is introduced onto the stage with these words. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. And so we can see there that there's a bit of a link with Jesus. We'll come back to that in a moment. How did Nebuchadnezzar react to hearing the dream? Well, he fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and he ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. He then promoted Daniel to rule over the entire province of Babylon and, and placed him in charge of all the wise men. And not only that, he agreed then to promote Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to be administrators over the province of Babylon. In all that comes the third climax of the chapter. It comes up in verse 47 and this time we see the words of Nebuchadnezzar. The great Babylonian king says to Daniel, verse 47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you are able to reveal this mystery. Now, it's intriguing here, Nebuchadnezzar was a devoutly religious man who worshipped Marduk, the Babylonian god, and he was persuaded that Daniel's god is the god of gods and the lord of kings. That's quite striking, isn't it? Daniel's god is the god of gods and the lord of kings. Now, we've sort of alluded to the fact at the moment that that the dream is about kingdoms. What do we make of the stone that comes up and crushes all the other kingdoms? You can imagine that, that even though Daniel had given an interpretation of the dream, it was still probably a bit confusing for Nebuchadnezzar and his contemporaries because they sort of had to look into the future and go, well, something's going to happen in the future. We don't know how, we don't know who, how's that all going to happen? The good news for us tonight is we have the advantage of living thousands of years later, knowing that Jesus has already come to live on earth. You see, Jesus, of course, was God-made flesh. God did come and live among men. 
But it's not just the Babylonian wise men that would find this truth difficult to comprehend. Because that idea of God becoming a man, that idea of Jesus reigning as God's forever king, well, those ideas are both still challenged and denied by many in our society today. And this is where that second reading from Luke helps us to understand. Because in that reading, we, 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 were, we read the parable that Jesus told about the vineyard and the tenants. In that parable, Jesus likens his rejection by Israel to the killing of the vineyard owner's son. And, and towards the end, he quotes from Psalm 118. He, Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? So he quotes from Psalm 118, then the next sentence he alludes to Daniel 2. When he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. So in saying this at the end of the parable, predicting his own execution, Jesus is tying his own death to the stone that comes from heaven. Jesus is the one cut by no human hand. It's God's kingdom which brings down all human kingdoms and ushers in the eternal kingdom of God. And with the cross and the resurrection comes this everlasting kingdom. And so for us, this this mystery has now been made fully known. Jesus is king over God's kingdom and his work on the cross was the act that smashed every other kingdom. Daniel 2 is pointing us forward to the kingdom of God and to Jesus reigning as king in God's kingdom. How do we respond to that? Uh, Kate Campbell was the raging hot favourite to win the 100 metre freestyle on Friday and she finished sixth. And in a post-race interview, she was obviously shattered. But she said this. She said, I've always said that I don't need a gold medal to have self-worth. That's being put to the test right now. And a few sentences later, she pleaded for her family and friends back home not to think of her any differently and to still love her. It's quite a striking interview. And she's right, isn't she? We don't need a gold medal to have self-worth. I get the feeling she didn't know why she was right. You see, our worth comes from knowing who we are in relation to Jesus, in relation to God's King. Our worth comes from knowing that we are made in the image of God, that we are loved by God, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. Also last week, two American men won silver in synchronised diving. They too got interviewed and the the interviewer asked, what does it mean to come out and medal in this event? To which one of them replied, yeah, I just think the past week there's just been an enormous amount of pressure and I've felt it. You know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this, thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we both know our identity is in Christ. 
Warms your heart when you see those things pop up on your Facebook feed, doesn't it? Again, they're right, and this time I think they kind of know more why they're right. Because our true identity is found in our relationship with Jesus. Now, the New Testament teaches us that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so when he announced the arrival of the kingdom, Jesus called on people to repent and believe the good news. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. I need to ask you tonight, have you repented and believed the good news? Have you put your trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection? That's how we become part of his kingdom. But more than that, as we think about this idea of of making disciples, we have to realise that people in our community also need to be part of Jesus' kingdom. And so part of our work then of making disciples, I, I take it, is that we also need to be calling on people in our community to repent and believe the good news. And so I think Daniel 2 shows us that God's kingdom is coming When we read the Gospels, we can see that it has come. As we think about making disciples and and growing disciples, we want people to be part of Jesus' kingdom, this this kingdom that will itself endure forever, this, this kingdom that's not made by a human hand, but is provided by God. God has brought this kingdom. He has set Jesus to be king in this kingdom. It will crush every other human kingdom that has ever existed or will ever exist. And that's what we need to be a part of. And that's what we want our friends and our neighbours and our mates and our family to also be a part of as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for revealing to us the mystery of your Son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that he is your King, the King that you have anointed over your kingdom, Father, we pray that you would help us to to know and understand that his kingdom will reign forever and all other kingdoms will be crushed. And so we pray that you would uh, be sure that we're part of his kingdom. We pray that day by day we would come to him in repentance and faith, that we would seek to live for his honour and glory. And Father, we ask these things in his name. Amen.